Hello, beautiful people. Today, I'm joined by Kay He. He's the writer of Rad Reads. It's, this is a newsletter with more than 20,000 subscribers. And what makes Kay's story so interesting is he left a Wall Street job to bet on himself. And from all intents, it looks like that bet on himself has paid off. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, CNN, and Time. He's been called the Oprah for millennials. And I love his approach to writing and life. In this conversation, we spoke about creating stillness, compassion, and fear. And I'm grateful that this man who has spent so much time thinking about life, that he has brought that to this podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, let me know on Twitter at hey Danny Miranda. Send me an email, Danny at DannyMiranda.com. I love your feedback. It it warms my heart to hear that someone else listened to a podcast and enjoyed it enough to send me a message about it. So if you do enjoy it, or even if you don't enjoy it, I'd love to know your feedback about why you don't enjoy it and what I could do to get better. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Kay. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. For people who aren't familiar with you, give everyone a little taste of your background. Great. Well, first, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. And I would say my background... Well, I'm 41 years old, so you know. I hope you have some time on your hands, but I'll, I'll try to give you the, the abbreviated version. And it really, is you could think of it as a tale, uh, you know, a tale of two cities. And you know, there's the opening line: "It was the best of times; it was the worst of times." Um, and really, there was a demarcation point in in my life. You know, I'm 41, and 30 at age 35, so six years ago, I walked away from a very well paying, well known job that would have made me kind of, you know, I'm using air quotes here, a made man uh, in the financial services industry. So I was in Wall Street for for 16 years. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, for 15 years and then an entrepreneur for six years. And so that is the tale of two cities, a very, very structured on the escalator path to a very defined, precise uh, and lucrative career to being a uh, bottom of the barrel, meandering tadpole in the ocean of the internet, not knowing what I wanted to do, who I was or what I wanted to be and how I was going to make money. And I've been in that meandering part uh, for the past six years. And it's all under the umbrella of Radreads, radreads.co. It's mostly a newsletter. started out as a, that's how it started. It's evolved into a blog, uh, a bunch of different platforms we're on. And that is my vehicle to really share my ideas to help people live intentional and epic lives. And from that, I do online teaching, I do coaching, I do consulting, and I do uh, public speaking. Very awesome, man. And one of the things that sticks out to me about you from the research that I've done is you're very self-aware and you try to be very intentional and think about the ways in which you go about 
doing things and the way you're presenting things. And it's really fascinating to me just about how much you think about thinking. And it's something I relate to you very strongly about. So what I want you to talk about is is just have you always been that way or is that something that developed after you left mm-hmm. Wall Street? What was the start of your thinking about how how is Kay thinking today? That's a great question, Danny. And I would say that a lot of it comes with age and, and you know, quote, unquote, I say maturity, right? My company is named Rad Reads after all because I want people to say, have an excuse to say the word rad uh, sure. as much as possible. But I would actually say, though, that, you know, my parent, I, it, it helps to paint a little picture about, you know, I talked about my adult life, but it helps to paint a little picture about my childhood life and growing up. And I'm from New York City. My parents are immigrants, so I'm first generation child of immigrants. Uh, And they really came to this country with very little. And it's kind of the classic story of immigrants who come here, work their butts off in the name of giving their kids every opportunity possible, opening as many doors as possible for them while showing them a lot of love, but also a lot of, you know, strict, tough love. And so I bring that up because if you think about some of these big open questions, such as, why am I here? What do I do what I do? What is happiness? Am I having an impact? These are questions that my parents never had the luxury, and it's truly a luxury to think about. Their questions were, How are we going to survive in this foreign country? How are we going to make money? How are we going to educate our kids? How are we going to keep them out of trouble? And how how will we give give them the best opportunities? And so, plus, I'm culturally, I'm Cambodian um, and with a little sprinkle of French. I'm from a culture that's not particularly introspective, right? You kind of, we're taught, and again, I'm speaking with very broad strokes, but culturally, I was taught, you know, if you, my dad would always say this. He said, if you're thinking about happiness, you have too much free time on your hands and you should get back to work. Mm. And so that was the culture on that, 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 that I grew up with was all that stuff. That's, that's BS. That's, that's a waste of time. You show up, you do the job, you put your head down and things will happen. And so, so to, to directly answer your question, I I, I think I was in hindsight, but I didn't even know that it was an option, right? Uh, and so I I don't think, I think that I really started to get introspective. I was always very curious, but curious about other things, not about myself. I think I really became introspective as um, as my Wall Street career started to take off and as I had my first child. And around you care about who are around your age, and that's when you start to realize that oh, this this is things are not exactly what I you know you imagine your your 25 year old friend to live to be the same age as you you know you don't expect them to uh, to pass away from cancer at 30, right? And and you start to see you know thankfully it, it didn't happen very often in my life, but you start to see that these things that you just assumed would be true or not true or things that you never thought would happen, happen. And I think the combination of having had professional success, uh, having a child where there's this instant pivot and then looking around and, and being like, oh, wow, these general assumptions that I had about life 
are turning out to not be as steadfast or hardened truths as I thought they were. And those really, I think they opened me up to let my curiosity that was dictated outwards really come back inwards. You're speaking to the the nature of life that is fleeting and constantly and and how when we're young we have the idea or the impression potentially that things are great things are always going to be greater things are the way they are and they're always going to be the way they are and you see that life can change in an instant and i appreciate you bringing up those examples and those stories because it's this is what life is all about for me analyzing these ex- trying to understand these and so you kind of on the same line in April of 2019 you had a great interview with Jerry Colonna mm-hmm. where you spoke about feeling guilty or almost indulgent for having these thoughts about happiness and these these thoughts about how you're thinking and you know your dad would have not allowed you or would have said to keep working and not have these thoughts. So I'm curious, do you still feel that way in now October of 2020? Mm, It's, it's hard to unlearn things that are so core to, to your essence, right? Your culture, your family. So I think that I, I, I definitely still have have these thoughts, but I bounce around less on the edges of the extreme, right? I can kind of um, I, I can kind of see I can zoom out in my own head and see what's happening. So I'll give you an example. Every, I mean, the internet. You know, we're 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 creators. We write content. There's you know, we all stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us. Every once in a while, you'll see someone who's, and I've been doing this for six years. When we were talking before we were recording, I've, I've probably written 200 blog posts, probably 10 million words in, in my, in the past six years. But every once in a while, someone kind of comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden they have, pick your favorite metric. They have twice as many followers as you, X amount more traffic, YouTube, and they've been doing it for a third of the time as you. Or they launch a course and you know, you've been doing it for a year and their first one makes as much money as your entire year. Something, something like that happens. And so I quickly, when those things happen, I, a, few, a few things happen. First, I get angry. I get angry at the other person. And I, I make excuses like, oh, the, you know, this person retweeted them or they, you know, they got the timing right on this theme. Then I get angry at myself uh, and I'm like, you didn't try hard enough. You, you, sh- you could have, uh, you could have done more. And so I start to go down these, these like very deep wormholes of self-doubt, self-loathing um, and imposter syndrome kind of simultaneously. But then I, then what, what, what used to happen to me is that I would just sit in those places for days, weeks, years, and I would start doing things out of uh, frustration and anger. Like it would, it would just be. I would just do, use so much effort. Now, 
I'm when that happens, I I'm able to kind of gut check myself and be, it's almost like before there was a little devil on my shoulder and now there's a, a friendly angel that says, Hey Kay, remember why you do this? Why, why are you a creator? Why do you do online classes? And you know, yes, I want to make money. Yes. Uh, it, it's fun to have followers, but at the end of the day, I, my passion is finding the intersection of creativity and service. And it's not having the most followers. It's not making the most money. But in that split second, when I get triggered, I, I now have the awareness to pull myself out and say, hey, let's remember, let, let's, let's, let's be a big kid about this. Let's, and, and I didn't have those tools before. And so I don't bounce off of the walls of self-loathing and joy and anger and frustration and happiness and excitement. It's, a, it's much more balanced, which is a much calmer way of being, which lets me enjoy every single day of the journey much, much more. How did you get to that place? <laughs> mm. I th- so... The first step is a willingness to explore, right? Think about the last time you, you, you got angry, you yelled at someone or, or you cursed at someone who cut you off on the highway. At that moment, you have a moment to introspect into some parts of you that you might not like. And so, for example... Maybe I, I use the example of getting cut off uh, in a car, but I'll give you a, a much more salient example in my life. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm pretty calm around them, but occasionally I'll, I'll snap at them. I'll yell at them. And the moments when I yell at them, usually there's something that's not right in me. And their action was just the catalyst to bring out that thing in me that wasn't right. So for example, I could have just gotten a very nasty email from a customer asking for a a refund. And that could have brought up all these feelings of shame or imposter syndrome or disappointment. And as I'm brewing in that, my daughter asks me a little too directly for milk. And I just yell at her, why are you so demanding? You know, I just kind of blow up at her. But really, what I was blowing up at was the feeling of shame and of imposter syndrome that came from that prior request. And so I think the first thing is self-awareness. Like we don't even, we just think we were angry because in that example, because your kid was, you know, being a little too demanding. But what we're really angry was there was a part about ourselves that was threatened or hurt. And so that's the first step is, is that self-awareness. The second step is what you do with that self-awareness, which is a little bit like like what I the example I gave of you know when a competitor, not a competitor, because I don't view any any creator as a competitor, but a peer has a huge success. My first impulse is to be angry. So notice you're like that's a little odd. Like why would you be angry when someone who has nothing to do with you is successful? Then the second step is well let's let's it's like an onion, right? Let's let's pull it back a little bit more. What do you, what, what is really, what's really happening here? What's at the core of this anger? Emotions are wonderful indicators of something that's uh, not at ease inside of you. 
So then you go look at what's not at ease inside of you. Um, what, you know, what makes me agitated? What makes me feel off-centered? And these are oftentimes deeply, deeply rooted in long, longly held anxieties, insecurities, and fears. A lot of it, and I don't want to get all therapy uh, on you, but a lot of it is, you know, the relationships that you had with your parents. A lot of it is if you were bullied as a kid. A lot of it is if you're a people pleaser, um, you know, because you're, you're, you know, a parent was suffering from mental health issues. What I mean, there's a, the permutations are endless. So I know one of them for me is that when I was a kid, I was super skinny, I was super shy, I was super insecure, and I thought that I I thought that no one would ever like no um, mate female would ever love me. I thought I was unlovable uh, from like a in a romantic sense, and so from that. I developed a coping mechanism, which was be really good at work. Because I was, I said to myself, well, if I was really good at work, I could find ways to make money, I could find ways to get power, I could find ways to get status, and then I would feel loved. And so, you know, I met uh, an incredible woman who's now my wife. We've known each other for 10 years. We have two lovely kids. But you never shed those feelings, because there's, again, it's like that cultural imprint from my parents that I was talking about earlier. They're so ingrained in you that they're almost a lens through which you see the world, even though that lens might not be relevant anymore, right? It's the reason why there's like certain billionaires who still walk to an ATM because they don't want to pay the ATM fee, right? Because there's certain behaviors that are ingrained from before they were billionaires that they just can't let go of. So it's my long-winded way of answer is saying, just notice, self-awareness, often triggered by an emotion. I don't like to call them negative emotions, but an emotion that tends to make you feel like bring your anxiety level up. Once you have that self-awareness, look inside. Look, you know, ask why. Ask what's really happening here. And then examine it with curiosity and compassion and really kind of sit with it. And then as you repeat that cycle, the next time, you know, you get that rejection from a client. You're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been down this rodeo before. And you have the tools. It's You've defanged that criticism, that self-criticism. And then you realize that you should have never taken it so seriously. And so there's kind of a positive rein, reinforcement loop. Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, it, that was super helpful. And I really appreciate it. So it sounds like, you're doing meditation. And what I mean by that is you're, you're just thinking about thinking of meditation's uh, one word that gets, it can get construed a million different ways. But you've said in the past that meditation is the knowledge that at any point in time you can give yourself a warm hug. And I really like this mm-hmm. because people think of meditation with sitting alone for a second or for a few minutes or an hour, whatever it may be. But meditation you are saying in this situation that meditation is is something you could give yourself in this conversation right now, right? You can mm-hmm. give yourself when you're going to bed. You And so talk to me about your history with meditation or any type of stillness practice that you do currently or have done in the past. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I, meditation has been a huge part of my life. I've probably meditated between, you know, probably on average 30 minutes a day for six straight years now, spanning two kids. So since I basically since I left Wall Street, but I, and I will answer the question specifically on meditation, but I, I would I want to um, I want to step back and say that meditation is just a stillness practice, right? I think and it, and sometimes and I'm not saying that you do this you're implying this but sometimes people um, paint it up as if it's a silver bullet that can just solve so many of your problems I think one of the important things about meditation is that it's not meant to do anything right it's a state of being versus a like going to the gym a thing that gives you an output like, uh, and I think that's one thing that we should be very careful about when we talk about meditation is that, that, you know, the way meditation was conceived was, was about touch, you know, being totally, uh, immersed in the present moment, not being totally immersed in the present moment so that I can get better sleep or so, so that I could hit that game winning jump shot, like, you know, LeBron James who, who uses the call map. So so I'll, st- I'll start by saying that, but but my meditation practice, I do transcend- TM, Transcendental Meditation, which is two 20-minute sets a day, and it, it really, I, I think that for me, there's a saying that's from Blaise Pascal that says all of humanity's problems stem from the inability to spend 15 minutes by themselves. And if you think about where we are as a society, we're just our addiction to notifications and just replying to, you know, chatting nonstop and just this high velocity fragmented way of being, we've lost that deeper sense of being with ourselves. And so for me, meditation has really just helped me like help help me appreciate that moment in the sense that you know you might appreciate that moment when you grab a beer you might appreciate that that moment when you you know watch a great show or have a great workout but this you you don't need anything you're just with yourself and your own thoughts and so that that's been the really powerful part um, of my meditation practice and as a byproduct it has really helped me kind of soothe my anxiety uh it's helped me sleep it has just brought tremendous clarity uh to my thinking because you know like like you and i imagine many of your listeners we're just bombarded with information all day and we're not bombarded with information we're bombarding others with information and so to have that time where you can really like it's almost a form of healing uh has been uh, has been incredible, but I would add there's other practices too. There's all different kinds of meditation, um, but there's also I would say writing. Writing is a big one. Writing not for public consumption, journaling. Writing for uh, for for private consumption. Um, being in nature, like taking walks without without AirPods or anything. Um, I surf a lot, so there's a very contemplative uh, element of surf of surfing. So I would say that that just Maybe what I'm trying to say is finding places where you can just sit with your own thoughts and there's no distractions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, it's really interesting because I have this theory, which I've brought up in previous episodes of this podcast, that you can tell when a creator meditates 
because uh-huh. they just put put some writing they put some love into their writing that just comes through that they really care about you and I could tell that in your writing and I could tell that in the things you produce because they're just filled with a sense of you wanting the person on the other end to feel whole and mm-hmm. it really comes through yeah you know what I mean well, thank you. Uh, thank you to be. Thank you for for being part of your uh, evidence of that theory, which which I would agree with. But I, I would I would take it a step further, is that people who meditate frequently, they know that they have everything that they need. Mm-hmm. And so, if you have everything that you need, then by definition, everything else that you're trying to do is in serving others. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they have everything that they need is the the reverse of the Blaise Pascal is they know that they could sit in a room by themselves and they have everything that they need. And so I think that in the, in a world where we're where marketing and tech and cultural narratives tell us that we should always be striving for more. I think that what you find with people who who have a, a consistent meditation practice is there, it's like they're like, I'm good, I'm good. I got everything I need, and, and everything else is just, it's just, um, it's extra. So beautifully said, and it's that feeling of love and and fullness in your own heart that allows you to present yourself whole and. I've also said this in, in past podcasts, but you can only give to others what you fully have, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if if you are at a 10 out of 10 on the love scale of loving yourself, you can give that 10 out of 10 to the person on the other end of the phone, your family member, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. But if you're only at a 5 out of 10 with loving yourself, the person mm-hmm. on the other end is only going to get that 5 out of 10. And so mm-hmm. really loving yourself is the key to loving others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And one of my favorite definitions of love, Danny, is the fullness of presence. I think about this all the time with my kids. You know, because my kids are still young where, you know, they want to be pushed on a swing for 20 minutes. And it's really, I call it one, one-handed parenting. It's really easy to, to, and tempting, and I do this, to just push them with one hand. You know, that's the one-handed parenting hand. And on the other hand, I'm, you know, scrolling Twitter and re- replying to DMs. And, and I always come back and ask myself, the fullness of presence. Are you giving them the fullness of your presence? Because that's love. And, and oftentimes I'm not. And so at least in, in that moment, again, that's a self-awareness. It just kind of reminds you. And again, I always say with like compassion and curiosity, right? Don't be like, you're such an asshole. You can't give your, your kids a fullness of presence. You suck. You know, try harder. It's, it's, instead, it's more, like, more inquisitive. It's like, I wonder why I'm here with my kids, the people who I purport to love the most, and I'm on Twitter at a playground. And just see where that question goes. And it might be it might be something like I'm scared. You know, I'm scared that I'm not good enough, or I'm scared of failing, or I'm scared that this entrepreneurial thing's not gonna work out, or um, I'm not confident in the direction that I'm moving. Whatever, you know, and and usually again that's where that that introspection comes in. Is it often comes back to the to the same kind of core 
blockers or lingering fears and insecurities that you have carried for years and decades. Or it could be that the world's most incredible, brilliant engineers are conspiring against you to <laughs> try to make you addicted to a platform. But that's neither here nor there. I, I understand <laughs> the point. Um, and, but it, it's like, it's really interesting because you, and this is something that I want to ask you is like, you have a, a following on these platforms. Do you ever feel, have you ever witnessed your mind on a day where you didn't use social media at all versus a day when you used it early in the morning? Because I'm curious if you've noticed a difference in your own mind. Oh, for sure. And, and especially Twitter. I mean, Twitter is, I already don't have the Twitter app on my phone, so I've got to use it on the, on the web platform. But I think the, the, you know, there's a great, researcher about time and attention. Her name's Ashley Willens. She calls it, she calls it time confetti. And we basically fracture, fragment our time. And so let's say you have an hour free time, but in that hour, you respond to two emails from your boss for, for a minute. You check notifications a few times, you write a tweet, and basically you've taken that hour of free time where you could have done something really where you kind of lost yourself in that moment, right? Um, and instead, you have basically reduced it to, you know, 10 six-minute chunks, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but 10 six-minute chunks of anything doesn't seem nearly as relaxing as one 60-minute uninterrupted thing. And for what end, right? What did you really, you could have sent all of those emails, those two emails to your boss after. You could have not checked Twitter. That tweet didn't matter. So I do think about, so so to answer your question, absolutely. And and I've tried all different tactics. You know, I log I log off on I log off of my accounts. I go on airplane mode when I write. I um you know I I use a, a lot of notebooks. Like I try not to use my phone for the first two hours of the day. So I just write all these ideas and notes and all this stuff plans in my notebook. And then when two two hours comes up, I transpose them and I kind of put them into you know Notion and test managers and and all that stuff. So so. Absolutely. And I, there was a time in my life, I, w I really need to go back to it, where uh, I would send rad reads on Saturday at nine and I wouldn't check my email uh, until 9 a.m. the next day. And that was those were some of the best. I felt like some of the happiest during that those times. What stopped and there was you nothing from to getting respond back to. to that place? Yeah. I mean, that's that self-inquiry, right? I think that um, I think that. I, I think it's a mix. It's I'm, I'm good again with air quotes at what I do. So whenever I put some, I put so many things out that I'm constantly getting feedback like, Hey, that was cool. Nice. This nice that. So I think that's one of them. I'm addicted to the response. That would be one. The second is that I still have these moments of, you know, I hit send and I say to myself, that was really bad. What I just sent. And so then I want to check to basically make me feel like for signs that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was or to do something else to overcompensate. But I, I think the biggest reason, Danny, and this is something that I'm really working 
to, to understand better is that I still derive a huge, huge sense of my self-worth from achieving things. And so I believe that I'm, I know how to achieve things. They just take time. And so I always try to convert time into achievement because achievement makes me feel better about myself. And I, I've definitely slowed down that cycle, but it's to your earlier question. I mean, that's, that was the thing about like not being able to get a date, right? That was my coping mechanism. So I'm still clinging to a set of behaviors and a series of scripts that are, I'm 41. I mean, these were, you know, I was 12 years old, right? They're like 29 year old scripts that, that dictate a lot of my behaviors. So, um, but it's a good point. I, it's and again, I don't beat myself up about it, but I know uh, that's why I can answer you so clearly. Like, why do you still do it? Um, and you know, working, working on uh, on trying to be a little bit better, which which is not about you know tricking your phone and deleting apps and all that. It's really about why is your self worth so tied to achievement, right? That that's that's the that's the that's the ten thousand dollar question. The ten dollar question is is uh, what app do I need to log off uh, log off of? Mm. You brought up identity and and how your identity is tied up in achieving success. And you've mentioned in the past about how you had to let go of your identity as a Wall Street you know executive. So. My question is, how do you let go of your identity? Mm. Whew. Yeah, that, I mean, that is, that is, I mean, a lot of it, now you really, and I, I you're getting into Buddhist philosophy, which I know a little bit about, so I'm definitely not purporting to to be anything close to uh, an advanced beginner uh, in, in these thoughts but a lot of 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 meditation is sense shedding the sense of self right that there, there's a reason why you, you know you can sit and meditate and you know for a day a month a year is because the, your sense of self uh, starts to melt away and and specifically, the the self that has been fabricated by the outside, right? You really rebuild who you are from the inside, right? So think about something like money, right? If an alien came into this to to land it on Earth and say, saw, wow, guys, you really um, you start wars over this green piece of paper, you destroy the environment over this piece of paper. Um, and you do a lot of really bad things over this green piece of paper. What is what is it about this green piece of paper that makes you guys act so horrible, right? And so if you think about it, it's just a green piece of paper, right? Um, having uh, a six-pack and being perceived as sexy is not innate to a six-pack. It is, it's the byproduct of what our culture has told us about what is, is sex appeal, and so I think that where the dissolution of self comes in is you start to separate yourself from all of those things, which is why, right, my earlier point about meditation is you start to, um, you, you start to 
realize that you have everything that you need. But I, I will also say that I, I don't have a desire to, you know, get rid of all my possessions and go sit under a tree and sit in a monastery and live an ascetic life for, for months, decades, or years. And maybe that's something worth exploring deeper, but there's something between, you know, pumping out three, three pieces of content a week and sitting under a tree. Uh, there's a, there's a huge space between those two extremes for me to, for one to, 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 to further explore. I mean, here's a, here's a question I think about all the time. I love writing, right? I love writing. I, it makes me happy. It, it's, it is truly one of those things that time flies by when I'm doing it. I get really into it. So, okay. So K believes that he loves writing. So if K wrote a great blog post, you know, 800 words, took a couple hours and had fun doing it, right? He said he had fun doing it. And as soon as he's finished, he hits delete. I couldn't do that. So obviously I love writing, but it's not just the act of writing that I love. It is whatever comes after hitting send, submit, post, whatever. And these are questions, right? If I really just loved writing, why do I need to write publicly three times a week? Why can't I just write... And so I think these are the, these questions of exploration. They're like, well, well, why do I want to be validated so badly, right? Who's validating me, right? Um, so I think I, I, I strolled, I, I meandered away from your original question. But that's, those are some, some thoughts about, you know, why do you do what you do? Yeah. And so my follow-up question to that is, what would you do if, you wrote an incredible piece and you, but then someone else's name was on it and people couldn't know it was you. How would you react mm. in that situation? Uh, in that specific situation, I wouldn't like it. But again, to me, that that's on me to explore why, mm-hmm. right? What what is so, you know, there in that specific case, you might get into questions of fairness or justice, right? It's not fair for someone else to, you know, but to to kind of take my work and be rewarded from it. But what if I don't need a reward? Right? Then then maybe the most benevolent thing I can do is to write things anonymously and give them to people who actually need the the awareness the 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 publicity the audience the income whatever more than me it's a so so in that specific case it would be you know there's a lot of feelings at play but i think it i think let's zoom out i think if you zoom out that would be captured by the question why do you do what you do Right. Or another version of it is what's it for? And I think it's an interesting question. And, and I encourage you because you get a lot of successful people on this on your blog and your podcast. And, and I would ask them, like, why do you do the things that you do? And really prod. It's like, well, uh, you know, people will say things like I love writing. And like I just said, and like, well, if you really love writing, would you ever 
right and let someone else take the byline, you know? And then, and then that's why I keep coming back. Well, for me, a lot of things that I get motivated by is the intersection of service and creativity. Um, I do think I'm a very creative person. I do think I have a service mindset. Uh, and so a lot of the things that I write feel like gifts, right? Like I'm giving them to people, but would I do them if I never had a chance of getting paid? I think I would, I would then need to feel completely secure in my financial life. And I feel quite secure, but I don't feel completely secure that I could just give my internet presence to someone else. But again, it's really inquiring in between those spaces, right? Like you're not going to go live under a tree as a monk, as an ascetic monk, nor do you need to to crank out three pieces of content a day. There's like what's in the middle, right? And really exploring like the, the why. The middle is is where personally I want to live, right? I don't want to mm. give away everything. And, but I, I do want to be aware of the ego and, and aware of Buddhist teachings and, and philosophies because I think there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think there's a lot to gain for yourself and others by exploring that and also living within this world in the reality that we live in in the Western world. So mm-hmm. I, that's that's what's – that's – the fascinating part for me, the intersection of those two extremes, the West and the East, right? And, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to live in that extreme. So what have you got for me as a 41-year-old person <laughs> who's thinking about this? How, how have you best lived within the extremes? Um, I think that, well, w- one thing is constantly exploring right i mean i would say that um you know you you know you and and i and the people that we we hang out with and 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 interact with on twitter and in our blogs i would say we there's a good chance we all have uh like a good practice for fitness right we probably exercise run lift weights surf do it really regularly, watch our diet, you know, probably pretty good at sleeping, pretty aware about how much to sleep, don't drink too much, all that stuff. What's the equivalent of that for your heart, not your physical heart, your spiritual heart or your mind or your soul, right? I think, I think that if anything, let's say you spend, you know, 90 minutes, two hours a day on your physical well-being, you should at least spend two hours a day on your your spiritual well-being. And I'm not, I'm talking about spiritual, it can be religious. I'm not a religious person. And so I think that that a big thing has been just making that a practice. And so I probably spend, well, if you take like 40 minutes of meditation, 30 minutes of journaling, some time in nature kind of by myself, I probably spend two hours a day on on this inquiry. Plus I have spiritual teachers, coaches, I, you know, there's a, there's so much to be learned there in, in the Eastern tradition. So I guess what I'm saying is how do you get there? One is you make a commitment to it or you make a practice out of it, right? There's no end goal, right? The, 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 there, it never stops, right? You keep peeling a layer off and then you realize there's another layer underneath and you peel another layer off. So that would be, um, that would be one of the ways, 
the second way is to really understand like why you do what you do. And, you know, one, one, one easy way or one way to get clues, there's many ways to, to discover some clues about that. One of them that I always ask people is if all of your expenses were paid for, for the next 20 years, how would you spend the next, how would, like, what would you do all day? And I think it really kind of forces you to think about, like, at the end of the day, a lot of the things that we do, creators do on the internet, it's because we, we want and we need to make money. But if, if you really want to get into the truth, you have to pull that thing away. And maybe then you can find that, that the thing that, that, that you love doing. And by the way, you can turn it into a business. Now, I think you have, you have to be very careful with that, you know, because we're really good at tricking ourselves. So that would be another way. And, and related to that is something we, that has come up many times in this podcast is figuring out what's enough. What's enough money? What's enough house? What's enough stuff? Um, you know, we, uh, and like I said, we're very, we're in a very financially comfortable position. And, but I asked my wife the other day, we had this talk and we said, if we could spend money to improve our, the quality of our, of our life lives, what would we, what would we spend it on? And we actually couldn't find many things we'd spend on. We don't, we're not homeowners, but we don't want to own a home. We like moving around a lot. Um, for, we've like flirted with the idea of getting a Tesla. We didn't want that. Um, you know, we like our, we have a, a Acura RDX. We like that car a lot. Um, and we have, you know, part-time childcare. So we, we were kind of like, wow, we're, we're good. And so we, we basically, and what we wanted was more quality time with each other and more um, more more quality time like one on one with our kids. And so you get like as you figure out what's enough, then you're like, oh, wow, we're good. And, like maybe I don't if the part of me that writes to make money, maybe I don't need to do that so aggressively anymore. And then you can start to peel back that back and you're like, well, what's something I would do? with that extra time, if it was just for fun, like, you know, for me, it's surfing, uh, you know, I, I want to like pick up skateboarding again, I skated as a kid. So it might be skateboarding, you know, it's going to be something outdoors for me, but not outdoors. Cause I want to like be good at it, but outdoors because it just makes me come alive and I'm, you know, connected to nature. So, so again, figuring out this, that self-awareness, um, turning into a practice, figuring out, uh, figuring out your why, figuring out what's enough. And, and the other thing that, that's really kind of ties it all together is it's very hard to do by yourself. And so coaching, therapy, uh, you know, spiritual groups, uh, accountability partners, this stuff's really, really hard to do by yourself because the brain is so good at tricking yourself, you know, like the, the, the deleting the blog post example, right? Like you, you, like you could just convince yourself you love writing until someone really presents. I didn't come up with that. Someone asked me that question. So you, you could just pretend you can kind of punk yourself that you're good. But when someone else starts asking you these more difficult questions and kind of that underlying, and then why does that matter? And then why does that matter? Then it starts to really hit home. I love what you said about doing it with a team. Because I think that's so important and so overlooked. We tend to think, oh, I could do it all myself. Oh, it's all me. And then you you find your first roadblock or your second roadblock and all of a sudden you're 
you're ready to throw in the towel. But if you if you have a team, if you if there are people who support you and in your corner, it's like everything becomes easier. So such an important point, and I'm so happy you brought that up. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit along the same lines, I guess, is you've said before in, in that Jerry Colonna podcast, you said you've often questioned about what utility you've brought to the world. And you've said that you have the potential to do more. So what you've done is not enough. And, and this has gotten on your mind. And I'm curious if you know what Leonardo da Vinci's last words were. I don't. I'm now I'm eager. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci said that I came across this quote today and I listened to your podcast and I couldn't believe it. His last words were according to the internet. So don't know if this is 100% accurate, but internet says it. So I've offended God and mankind by doing so little with my life. And it's so fascinating to think about someone who we all recognize as one of the greatest creators of all time, had such problems with procrastination that even on his deathbed, he thought he had not done enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just thought it was fascinating and thought I would bring it up to you. Yeah. Well, I I interviewed uh, on my now uh, defunct podcast, a gentleman by the name of Frank Ostaseski, and he worked, he founded the Meta... I'm sorry, the Zen Hospice Project, which is a hospice center. So people who are terminally ill, who have, you know, weeks to a few months to live and are not, um, have given up on any treatments. And so they're just basically, they're they're dying comfortably or dying uh, outside of the hospital system. And so he he's witnessed, I think he said 5,000 deaths in his life. And he's just a gentle, sweet kind, warm, very positive man. And he said to me that people on their deathbed are beating themselves up, that that they either didn't do enough or that they're not dying well. Like I I should be dying more gracefully or I should not be complaining as much as I die or I should be happier as I die. And so it goes back to, you know, you've asked me, um, in a variety of different ways, you know, what's the answer? How do you find that, that, that spot? Presumably the thing that's not letting the person die well is, is the same thing that prevents them from not hitting send is the same thing that they struggled with when they were a teenager, right? Those things are really hard to, you know, they're, they're so innate to us. They're kind of, they're, they're hardened tracks and threads in our brains and in our hearts. And so I just thought that that, uh, that, that was an interesting, uh, just just uh, an interesting way, uh, way to, to see that, that self-doubt through, through the lens um, of, uh, what's his name? Franco Staseski. There's a, a popular saying that goes something like, I live for two people, myself at 10 years old and myself at 80. Do you subscribe mm. to that? Mm, I don't. I never have heard it, but I really I really try to to really enjoy and be present 
and and have agency about every moment in my day, right? And, and I mean, I, I say that, I say that, you know, I, I always I, I always ask myself that question, you know, if I if I didn't have to do anything for money, would I be doing the thing I'm doing? today right now right so if 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 yesterday someone had mysteriously wired me a billion dollars in my bank account would i have canceled the interview with you no because this is what i want to be doing right now um and you know I'm, I'm a fan of you and your work and i respect what you're doing and you know i see traces of myself in you from me when i was earlier in my journey so i think that when you so i really try and that will change right i think that in some late some points in my life, I'll be more protective of my time. In other moments of my life, I just won't feel as social, right? And so I really try to be, again, it comes down to, to that self-awareness. So I think maybe in the past, I would have said that I'm like optimizing, like I won't, like 10-year-old K wants 40-year-old K to be as happy as possible. But now 41-year-old K wants basically like tomorrow's K to be just as content as today's K was and hopefully just string a bunch of those together for as long as I live and um, call that a good life. <laughs> I love the simplicity of it and, and the truth in it. So I wanted to uh, bring up something about creating and something okay. about what you've said about 25 newsletters being mm. what someone should stick to and it, it's a completely different ball field than what we've where we've just been playing but i i wanted to bring it up to you because i think it's so valuable when starting a new habit and talk to me about the the 25 newsletters mm -hmm. and how that came to be yeah well first first off it's totally empirical so there's no no science to it but you know you write a newsletter i'm i'm putting out rad reads 277 this Jeez. weekend and you do that you have a public persona people come to you for advice and they see you know they see that i've made a life and a business kind of started from a newsletter and so they they want to they want to give it a shot, as they should. And so I always give people some advice. I tell them, you know, how to name it, what service provider to use, et cetera, et cetera. But in my head, there are already, oftentimes they're already giving, there are a few things that are happening. They're either giving excuses, like, well, uh, what if I have a wedding one weekend and that same weekend I don't have any ideas? And I kind of scratch my head and, and kind of say, well, oh, if, if you really wanted it, if you really want something, that shouldn't be an issue. Or if it comes effortlessly, that would be one thing. Or the second thing is they're already, they're already thinking about what, how they're going to make money off of it. And so those, to me, tend to be too... Uh, warning signs and look 25 issues of a weekly newsletter is half a year at six months that's a long time there there is very few things that people do besides maybe their absolute favorite hobby and exercise once a week that's that's not required of them once a week for six straight months that that requires even if you're good at writing a newsletter it's it's work and so it's a, it was an easy threshold and I would always see it right around 15 would be like 
the drop off because I think that's it's it's like running a marathon, right? The wall, which is I forget exactly what it was. Marathon's 26. I think the wall is mile 18, I think, or 16, where you just mentally, you, you just shut down. And then you mentally shut down, then you physically shut down. And you're going to hit that as a creator because I think a few things happen. One, it's, it's just, you realize it's a much bigger commitment than you thought. The second thing is you might realize you don't actually like it as much as you thought. The third thing you realize is that it's the writing the blog post and hitting delete is that unless you have a stroke of luck, no one's reading your newsletter for, mm-hmm. you know, for the first six months other than your friends, your aunt and your, you know, your sister's husband. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so that you basically have a massive headwind, right? People go in thinking they have a massive tailwind because they look at people like you and me and they say, Oh, if he did it, I'm, I worked with him. If he could do it, I could do it. And then what really they have is a massive headwind. Oh, and it's cheap and it's free and you could do it on your own free time and blah, blah, blah. But they have a massive headwind in front of them because they don't realize that if they look across their lives, there's probably nothing that they voluntarily did for six straight months every week for four hours. And so that's kind of how it came about. Now, the flip side of it, though, is the people that do cross are the people that are doing it. It's the why. They, they are actually – it's the same thing as hitting delete because it's exactly the same thing as hitting delete because no one's reading it. Mm-hmm. So you might as well delete it because no one's reading it. And so it is, they are the people that actually are enjoying, you know, there's a lot, lots been said a lot of, about thinking in public, learning in public, like they, they're doing that. And that part is more fun than the response that they get from it. Right. And, and so those are the ones that tip over past 25 and then come 25 if you're showing up you know people are starting to link to you people are starting to share to you it's getting the number of time the number of hours it takes to put it together starts to go down um you understand things like lead magnets better and subject lines better so more people are opening your stuff um you might have started a social like you know people on social are starting to pick you up so that's that's where the 25 uh came up but once people made it past 25 then a lot of times they were like at 100 150 still going I love it and I want to thank you for that because when I was starting my newsletter, I'm, I'm currently at like issue 22, I, I believe at the time of this recording. You got it, Danny. You got it. <laughs> but when I was going through my first 10 and I was sending it out to 100 people, 150 people, I'm not sure, but I was sending it out and I was like, oh, just get to 25, get to 25. And it's really fascinating because – the the thing that you're talking about in terms of doing it for the sake of doing it is is true in the newsletter for me personally it's true in meditation practice it's true in working out and it is true when i'm enjoying life the most right and mm-hmm. when you're enjoying life the most you are doing it purely for the sake of doing it i'd be on this phone call with you for if it wasn't recorded you know and, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. That is where magic happens. Always, mm-hmm. always magic happens when we are fully immersed and doing it with no regard for if anyone else will enjoy it, read it. And that's all just the extra icing on top. Totally, totally. But 
most people, that's a very enlightened way of seeing the world, right? Especially for someone at um, someone someone your your age, but most people don't see it that way, right? I mean, we we want we want validation, so. Yeah. And when, when it really hit me was when I was sitting in a meditation one day and I just laughed because I realized that I was doing the practice for the sake of doing it. And, and that was just like the aha moment for me where I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this is it. There's nowhere to be. There's nowhere to go. This is it. And getting to that place and realizing that everything can be that. You can mm-hmm. talk to your mom like that. You could talk to your your brother, sister, friend, and be fully immersed in a conversation like that. Everything can be just mm-hmm. for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, it's a very it's a, a point that's near and dear to my heart. And I I just believe that you represent the ethos of that in what you do. So Thank you, man. Oh, well, that's that's super kind of you. And like I said, you only see people's exteriors and, and the interior. There's a lot of I do. I really do try to live it. But that doesn't mean that uh, that, you know, there is that like, why didn't this one get more more likes than this one? Like, I got to wake up at eight and post the you know, tweet this one thing tomorrow to boost this post. <laughs> you know, like, there still is a lot of that. And my one of my spiritual teachers he reminds me, he's like, hey, if it's not easy, you shouldn't be doing it, which is actually very much goes against a lot of my ingrained philosophies, right? For me, it's like, if it's going to be good, you have to suffer through it. And he really approaches things from the way, which is a lot of what we've been saying, again, in, in circuitous ways. But if you have everything you need, the then the everything just shows up, right? And, and now I'll get super spiritual but it, you know there there is the trope of right the just the universe right the, and I, I don't i don't live my life fully believing it but but i can see a a, a a life where you just kind of effortlessly glide through creativity through relationships through health through fitness through nature through love through conflict and you're just good right i think it's totally possible and maybe that is the you know that is the you know modern day equivalent of sitting under the banyan tree with no possessions for you know months on end where you just you know i think my 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 current coach she's like okay if you don't want to write the newsletter don't do it and i i can't i that that shows that i'm still clinging to something right like and and so i think i will get to a point where it's like if I feel like writing on a Tuesday, I write on a Tuesday. If I feel like writing on a Saturday, that would, you know, that there are very, very intricate questions of money, of, you know, what people think of me, of identity, all wrapped into that. So I will tell you that I'm not at that point yet. But it's also kind of ridiculous. If I, if I tell you that I'm good financially, I believe I'm confident in my skills. Why on earth would I not just write when I feel like, you know, it's like the alien seeing the green piece of paper. Like what you're saying makes no sense because it's totally at odds with each other. I'm not sure it's totally at odds with each other. I believe Mm -hmm. that 
if you love the practice and enjoy the practice, even if you might not want to do it, right? You mm-hmm. could, before starting a newsletter, you could say, oh, I don't want to do this. And then you could go through the resistance and defeat the resistance and start doing mm-hmm. it and enjoy it. And so I think there's some of that too that needs to be considered. I don't know if you're dealing with that, but I know when I personally don't want to work out and and I love how I look. I'm so happy with myself physically, but I don't want to work out. And then I go and do it. I'm happy mm-hmm. about it while I'm doing it. But it was just about yeah. defeating that resistance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and I agree. I mean, that's why it's it's actually not black and white, right? Because there is there could be the resistance of the creative process and there could be the resistance that's like, you know, I'm the guy that's, that shows up. Right. And if I'm not the guy that shows up, then who am I? Right. And, and I don't think it's black and I don't think you you're one or the other. Right. I think it's actually very uh, nuanced between the two of them. But that 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 could be one one question. I had this this conversation with Ali Abdal um, where he wanted to take a break from his newsletter and he, he just like, wouldn't let himself do it. And I and and I basically I convinced him to do it because I said, look, is it the identity of being consistent that you want to protect or do you want to actually serve your readers? And, and he said, you know, it's like the writing, I love writing example. He's like, oh, I, I want to serve my readers. And I said, well, have you ever considered that in serving your readers, you might actually, if you take a break off, you give them time to catch up. You take the pressure off of them to have to read it. Uh, and you give yourself a break so you can come back and be better than you were before. And so there, you know, it's just like these things are never black and white, right? And and I think that's where the self awareness comes in is that really the only person that will know, the only person that will know is you. And you'll only get to that point of knowing if you pay attention to your own thoughts and your exactly. own your own identity and try to uncover those layers. Because Kay and I could be speaking and something could hit you as true, but it might only be true because you believe that if if you believe that we only know the way and you're going to take whatever we say as fact it's not going to be accurate because we're speaking on on our lives and mm-hmm. if you're listening you're listening you could be like wow these people have no idea what they're talking about or that's a good idea let me try it or you know something in the middle of that but it's like you only know by thinking about it in the context of you cuz you know you better than anyone but it takes Absolutely. sitting with your own thoughts. Absolutely, yeah. So before we wrap this conversation up, I want to ask you about your core values. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. You Specifically, you, what are they? You, well, I know one of them is compassion, and that's such yeah. a huge one for me. And I'd just love for you to just riff on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I wish that I, I, I don't have, I struggle with values because I think that oftentimes you, you'll say something like integrity, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is a great value, but I would say most people would say integrity is, is a value of theirs. And so I, I don't, I don't. I couldn't distill it down to uh, specific values, but I, I think in 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 terms of 
like what is a value, right? It's kind of a guiding principle of your your morality and your actions, your and your your spirit, so to speak. So, so I would say that um, one of them is definitely love, uh, and you know I, I really care for people, f- full stop, right? And, and I, I don't I, I think that that you know you there is different variations of love and and i think love is a stronger one stronger verb or value uh than compassion and so but that is that's something that i think about all the time it's like you know like you said if you if you said love is the fullness of presence like am i giving you love during this conversation am i showing you love um during this conversation so uh, there are definitely would be uh, an element of love. Another one would be service, and I think this is one that I that I I struggle with, but I I think I'm living it, but I also struggle with it in the sense that I'm I'm living it in in that I really do write rad reads in in a way of helping people learn about themselves, giving them new tools, giving them new perspectives. I genuinely feel that, and I and and I think it works. I, I know. Just based on what people, the responses that I get from people uh, and students and so on. Um, but I think that there's, so that's the part that I do feel that I am living. Um, the other part that I don't, that I don't feel like I'm living as much is uh, service towards um, uh, th- those who who are who ha- who have had many less opportunities than me. And it could be socioeconomic. It could be, uh, it could be race related. It could be opportunity. It could be education, um, so on. And I do think that, that that I really do want Rad Reads to have an element of it that is, you know, like our cohort of Twitter and the internet. You know, these are people who are well employed. These are people who have good educations. These are people um, uh, who just have a lot of opportunity. And and I think that there's a lot that I that I know and that I could do for people who are not in that to get people into that realm. And so that's something that I always uh, wonder. And I I spoke about that with, um, with Jerry Colonna. And, um, I guess if I, now you're making me think about my values on the spot, but introspection would be one, you know, really understanding why you do what you do, why you say what you say, why you feel what you feel. Um, and then lastly, adventure. I think that, you know, my wife and I are on the same page of this. We we love adventure. We love moving around. We love, I mean, pre-COVID traveling. We love going places. We we love living in other countries. Uh, we love getting on planes, driving. I guess change is the only thing that stasis in 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 our lives. So that would definitely uh, be be a big one. And our kids are on board with adventure too, as well. For now. <laughs> well. I appreciate you so much for sharing all that and I appreciate you so much for having this conversation. Okay, it's been such a pleasure to learn from you and and hear your perspectives on things. So, thank you. Thank you for for joining us. My pleasure, Danny. It's a it's a real honor to be here and like I said, a fan of your work, a fan of the energy that 
that you bring out and you know we we both we both want we, you know we both want to bring similar things into this world so it's just been fun to do this uh together and if anyone you know anyone listening wants to reach out to me you know you danny will put where how to find me but i love engaging with people individually and and i always do so so please please don't hesitate awesome and tell everyone where they could find you if they're still listening to to this moment yes Thank you. The The best place to go is radreads.co. There's a bunch of places where you can drop in your email. I write two newsletters a week, and that's kind of the hub of all things Radreads. Uh, and uh, the other place would be Twitter, where it's at my full first name, which is K-H-E-M-A-R-I-D-H. Uh, that's probably my main, main and only social channel that's, that's very active. Awesome. And those will all be in the show notes at dannymiranda.com slash podcast. Thank you again so much, Kay. Really appreciate you coming on today and have a great day, brother. All right. Thanks, Danny. That was my conversation with Kay. He, if you enjoyed it, let me know on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. That's the best place to let me know what you thought of the episode. That is at Hey Danny Miranda. Thank you for listening until the final seconds. I appreciate you tremendously and hope you have a wonderful day. I'll see you guys in the next one.